0: Welcome to EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. Um, I'm Emily Webb, and I'm the training coordinator for the Early Intervention Training Center here in Massachusetts, and I'm here with Dana. Dana, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Dana Childress. I work in Virginia. I'm an early intervention professional development consultant, so I work on um, professional development, lots of training resources and things for our EI practitioners here in my state.
0: So last time we were together, we talked about, um, we've been talking this whole series about functional assessment. And last time we talked about observation and this idea of really um, being really mindful with your observations and using your observations to kind of collect information and then to um, help inform decisions going forward. And today we're going to talk about Um, interviewing or really asking meaningful questions. We're going to kind of get into what is a formal interview versus what is an informal interview. We're going to get into how can you um, phrase questions and pose questions to parents that can really help you um, get some good information that you can use to help make decisions going forward um, in providing services for that child and family.
1: So before we get into our topic, I know we wanted to throw out some suggestions for folks that are listening for how to use the podcast. So we're on our third episode, and um, we hope that you're listening to these just because you like to, maybe just because when you're taking your dog for a walk or listening in the car when you're driving between visits, but we wanted to throw some suggestions out for some other ways you can use these for professional development. So um, I don't know, Emily, what do you think? What are some ideas that you could suggest to some of your folks in, in your state?
0: Um, I, you know, I I think really just thinking about how can you kind of use these as a team, you know, do you maybe meet as small teams and you could kind of play an episode and then have a conversation and ask each other some questions and sort of reflect on how you're doing things. Um, I love the idea of listening to it between visits. Um, this is something when I was an EI provider, I would have been all about like, Oh my gosh, I can listen to something in the car that's gonna kind of help me with my job and I don't have to drive to a training or stress about can I meet meet my productivity if I take time off to do some professional development that week.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I putting like, you know, they talk about professional development, the folks that research it as just in time training so that's what I think about this it's sort of there when you need it but you could also do it maybe a supervisor could use this as a as to guide some discussions like you said at staff meeting or even if you have some training maybe in assessment or coaching listening to an episode and then processing it with your staff could be a great follow-up activity to keep the keep the learning going after that workshop you go to so Emily said we're going to move into talking about some different types of different ways to ask questions Um, and I know when I think about gathering information from families I it's easy to think about it as an interview and the word interview can mean different things I know here in Virginia we tend to talk about how to gather information from families and encourage our service coordinators and our practitioners to use more of an informal conversation to gather information. But still, it has an, a, a flair of an interview because we are asking questions. We're trying to get, help families share information. Um, so it, so really, I think it comes down to how you do it. Now, I know, Emily, you said in your state, you guys talk, you guys use the phrase interview, but it sounds like you're. we're both thinking the same things in our states, more of the how we gather information, regardless of what we call it.
0: Yeah, um, here, you know, we really encourage people to think about the difference between formal and informal and when is the best time to use formal and when um, should you not use formal and and even thinking, uh, challenging people and encouraging people to think about maybe, you know, my style is to always use more of a formal style, but maybe I want to think about that and try and incorporate more of a little bit informal and sort of asking questions, going off script a little bit, so to speak.
1: Yeah. And I think what you said about going off script makes a difference to me because when I think about gathering information from families, asking questions. I think you do have to have some structure because there is information we have to gather, right? We have to get information about what's important to the family. When we have information about their everyday routines and activities, it's all really good stuff to have. Um, So, you know, we also have to think about how can we build a rapport and gather that information in a way that's naturally pretty flowing for the family. So they, so they feel like, not like we are putting them on the spot, but maybe more so like we're just having a conversation. I think about a formal interview, like a really formal interview where you're checking the box and asking the question, you kind of have one asker and one answer. And it's sort of a back and forth that's not necessarily reciprocal, but um, you know we're just kind of zeroing in on often surface level kinds of information, if it's a really formal process. And for when I think about it, when I've had to sit through an interview, sometimes it can be an uncomfortable process and maybe not a way to re- build rapport, but it's all in how you do it. So if you approach that information gathering, asking families good questions through um, through maybe a more of an, a conversational approach, you can think about it almost like one long conversation that starts at intake continues through assessment and IFSP development. And certainly all that information gathering continues through service delivery. So I think it's really important to think about how you gather the information, how you conduct the interview and what you say. Um, This made me think, sorry, this made
0: me think a little bit of a story when I was a new provider. um, You know, I came in just coming out of grad school and I wanted to learn uh, intakes. And so I said to my director, I really want to come out. I want to watch you do an intake. And we maybe had like a three or four page, um, intake form and it had things like birth weight and, you know, did you have medication during your delivery? And you know, what gestation was the baby born? And, you know, the typical, all these sort of questions, what's your race, what's your ethnicity, all of that information that we, um, need to gather. And I remember watching, uh, my program director, And she, it was amazing. I was expecting her to just kind of go through the questions and really just sort of, like you said, check the boxes, ask the parent, respond. She goes to the next one, the parent responds. Um, And I was blown away because she did not do that. It was just a whole conversation. And she was so skilled that she built almost all of those questions into this conversation and it seemed so natural and you know from me looking in it seemed like she really wanted to know like what what is your family's uh health and you know development what what is what was your child's you know birth history what have you been up to since before you called early intervention and i was i was just like wow when i am ready to do intakes on my own this is how i want to do them it was It was really amazing to watch her just be able to build all of this into a conversation, and she was able to um, guide the conversation and get the information that she needed, but she did it in a way that really didn't feel that formal, I'm going to ask you questions and respond and ask you and respond. Um, She did it in a way that really felt like she was getting to know the family.
1: Well, and I think that's so important because if you think about it, especially at the intake, we're just getting to meet the family. They're just entering the system, which is probably a system that they don't know a lot about, can be a little intimidating. And, you know, then you're asked personal questions about like pregnancy and the child's delivery. And so I think a formal interview could set up that relationship as a little stressful from the beginning. So using the skills that you got to observe, I mean, I think that's really a skill to practice and and develop, to be able to have a conversation about personal information in a way that that shows that you care and and helps the family understand why this is important. And, you know, it just it's I think it gets the relationship off on a great start when it can flow that well. Because because we do have a lot of information we need to gather.
0: Yeah, I remember one time I was practicing on my sister. And so I was like asking her the questions. And I knew I sort of failed my practice when she looked at me and she said, so did I answer all the questions correctly?
1: (laughs) I was like, there's no right or wrong. These are your answers. (laughs) Yeah, but you know how stressful when you take your child somewhere or somebody comes to your house, they're asking questions. You do want to do it right because yeah. you want to get help for your child. So it, it feels like a lot of um, maybe some pressure, even though we don't, we'd hope we're not placing it. I bet a lot of that is in how you ask the questions too, don't you think? And how yeah, you even before you ask the questions, how you explain what you're doing, why you're asking them, why you're gathering the information, helping that adult know what's coming can make a big difference too, to make this sort of safe. Like it's okay for me to be honest and have this conversation because I can trust the person I'm talking to. So there's a lot, a lot into these, in, these uh, interviews and formal conversations more than just the questions we have to ask. Those are great, great examples. Yeah, I can think of as a parent even being in situations where you're asked questions and sometimes you don't want to answer them or you don't know what, like you said, the right answer is. So whenever we can alleviate that stress, I think it just makes the entry into early intervention um, a lot easier for families. so when you think about questions you know i always think about when i'm when i went in early intervention here in virginia we talk about questions we always try to balance it to say it's not all about the questions you know we don't want to be barraging family with questions when we're coaching when we're doing the intake the whole time if we have it in the flow of conversation it's part of us learning about families and caring about them But we can think about how we do ask them when we do have to ask questions we want to think about what we're what we're saying so you know you guys i'm sure have heard this before you can think of conversation openers and closers so those closers are the yes no questions sometimes they can come across as judgmental or making an assumption or we're conveying to the parent what we think they should answer um, or statements that don't even invite the parent's input, and then so instead we you know we want to use as few closers as we can. Openers are more um, inviting input; they're reflective. Sometimes they help the parent think a little deeper about their experience and what they can share. It might be opportunities for us to provide more um, feedback when we're using opener types of questions, like Emily, like you said, we're letting the family know we're interested. We're not just checking the box on the list. So let's, let's think about this. So Emily, if I was going to ask you a really good closer at an assessment, I might say something like, does your daughter use a pincer grasp? Yeah, she does. And so how does that? <laughs> yeah. And so there's a like, there's kind of a yes, no answer. But boy, if you're not sure what a pincer grasp is, or you're not sure if it's okay to say that she doesn't like that, even just thinking about it makes me feel a little stressed for the parent. But we have to gather the information, right? So instead, if I asked, tell me about how your daughter feeds herself. What kind of information would you give me? Well, we usually put her
0: in the high chair and we kind of cut her food up into sort of bite-sized pieces. She eats pretty much everything that we eat. We we try not to kind of give her separate things. And then we put it on her tray and we kind of let her go to town. Um, You know, she usually picks it up. I would say sometimes with her fingers, sometimes with kind of her whole hand and she gets it in her mouth. Sometimes she drops it on the, on the floor. Sometimes it lands kind of in the seat in front of her. Um, we really just kind of let her explore it and she eats what she eats and what she doesn't eat. She'll get at the next meal.
1: Yeah. So I hope that those of you that are listening could hear the difference there. So does she use a pincer grasp? We got it. Yes, she does. So that was kind of a closer, right? We didn't. We got the information we needed, but no more than that. But asking that wide open statement, "Tell me about how she feeds herself," we learned things about not only how she eats, that she picks things up sometimes with her whole hand, sometimes with her fingers, but we learned about how your family works around mealtime, where she sits, how how much freedom you give her. I think it's a lot more rich information. Gives us context. Um, gives us information about how she engages with you guys. I don't know, just lots more rich information um, that that tells us more about her, more unique things about her and your family. Whereas does she use a pencil grass as a yes or no? That's going to be a yes or no for all kids. It's going to be the same answer. You know, choice of two answers probably for all kids.
0: Yeah, I was thinking too when you were talking about that the second – kind of way of asking the question about tell me about it also gives you some input on things you might want to observe in the future you know Mm -hmm. you might want to say hmm that that sounds really interesting or oh maybe that sounds problematic or you know it it just can give you a little bit of a clue to say hmm maybe I want to make it you know uh, I want to be really intentional that next time I'm going to say hey how about I come at
1: lunchtime so I can sort of see
0: what's going on
1: Yeah, so it's more than just us jotting down a note, because we got the answer to check the box on our assessment tool. It gives us information for follow up. And and it's almost like we have to train our ears to be listening for those little clues that's in all that rich information that can inform how we support the family, yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Well, let's take another one, another example of a closer. So if, think about back when you, you, know, you told us last time about how your daughter was learning to walk. So if somebody had said at the assessment, she's not walking yet, is she? No. What would you have
0: said? I would be like, no.
1: And you even sound sad just saying it that way. You know, it's sort of a negative connotation because there's a judgment in that statement, right? So what if I asked, how does your daughter get around the house? How
0: does she get around the house? She spends a lot of time army crawling, and she tends to crawl. She can crawl up on her hands and knees, but she tends to crawl somewhat close to the ground. Um, And we carry her a lot. My my husband and I both we we kind of carry her around. She's little, she's petite, she's light. We often like if we're in the living room, we'll just pick her up and bring her to the the kitchen or, um, you know, if it's time to go upstairs and change a diaper, we just pick her up and carry her.
1: So again, a lot more information, some information about how she gets around, how she uses her body and how you, how the family helps her move around now. So that's, you know, even a little of information about the social engagement there. So when you think about it, if you can put yourself in that parent role, Emily, what's the difference in feeling for you between those closers and the openers? Um,
0: I think what you said definitely around, like when you asked me about the pincer grasp, you know, because I'm, I work in early intervention, I know it, but it also, it kind of made me stop and think like, does she do it? Do you want me to answer? Yes. Do you want me to answer? No. I was really more interested in sort of giving you the answer that you were looking for versus reporting
1: really accurate information. Yeah. That's important when we think about the assessment. We know it's just a snapshot, but we're hoping we're gathering accurate information because we're making important decisions based on that information. So if that parent is thinking, I'm just going to, I think I should just tell you what I think you need to know, then that might not be such accurate information. And I can understand that pressure as a parent for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then I think that when you kind of ask me the more open-ended questions, it it just gave me the opportunity to kind of just talk about my my family, my whole family, and not so much highlight, you know, her and the reason why we called and um, kind of the the delays that we see. It, it allows us to just sort of talk about us as a natural family outside of the fact that my child is
1: needing support. You know, and I wonder if... You know, I've always wondered when we tell parents, you're the expert on your child. I think that there's some stress in that, to be told you're the expert when here you are getting help from a bunch of what maybe you might as a parent see as experts and you think, gosh, I don't know nearly what they know. But asking, using those openers, the open-ended questions and statements, I think could facilitate the parent sharing their expertise you know how you how she gets around you know how she eats we don't so let's let's make that a a, a, like a um easier way for you to share what you know because i know it can be pretty intimidating to be sitting in a room with two or three other folks that you know you've come to for help and you think well they've got information that i need so let's let's make it a shared experience so so we're just trying to you know i think these are some good examples to think about how you can get lots of good information from one question I was also thinking um earlier you had said something about
0: um you had said that asking questions this way allows the person that you're sort of interviewing or talking to to reflect, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this. We do an activity on our um, orientation trainings where we have people sort of practice asking questions, and we have them practice open-ended questions versus kind of this more formal, close-ended questions. And there were we had a number of like absent people absent that day and so in order for everybody to have a have a partner I um I kind of got in on the activity and I remember during the open open ended they were asking about like our routine and I I got into this this thing about being really stressed out because my child whines for gum yes I let my kids chew gum I know that it's not everybody's style but my kids are gum chewers and um so I remember she just asked me like one one question. I don't even remember the question. It was, uh, you know, a reflective, open-ended. I think she might have asked like, well, what do you do when she whines? And I went into this whole long thing and I just kept talking and talking and talking. And by the end of it, I had completely solved the problem. Oh, wow. And she... She was not at all part of the solution. All she did was like really ask me one question that got me to really. Reflect and I was like, "This was so helpful. This was so great. Thank you so much." And she was like, "You realize I only asked you one or two questions, right?" And I was like, "Well, now that you say it, but it was a really helpful conversation." Yeah,
1: that's so funny. You had an aha moment in your own training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, I think this kind of reflective interviewing is almost like a skill to develop. So if if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, "I don't even know how to do that," or "I want to learn to do that." like Emily talked about earlier find people who you know are doing that well watch them go out and listen to how they do it what are the, jot down notes about the questions they ask how do they use their body language to convey what we're actually going to talk about next at our next episode about active listening like it it really is a skill to develop to help families almost like discover what they already have in them you know i think it's not us filling in the blanks asking questions so we can answer them it's more about asking questions, not just so we can gather information, but like you said, so we can facilitate that problem solving. I love it when that happens. So when you think about the questions you ask, I think even though we've talked about opens and openers and closers, there really is no perfect question. And there's no absolute that you can never ask what, you know, you can never ask yes, no questions. I think it really just going to depend on the context. So when you're, when you're facilitating functional assessment, I love thinking about it as facilitating it from a point of view of discovery. So how can I learn about this family without leading them to an answer that gives me what I think I need because you really don't know. We just need to learn. We're trying to learn about priorities, interests, goals. What what is the child's strengths? What challenges that child and that family? How does the child participate in everyday activities? Because that's going to guide the IFSP and that's going to guide service delivery. You know, I always think no matter whether we've met the family once, twice, three times before we write that IFSP or before we conduct the assessment, we can never know as much as the parent. So the parent's really our partner in in this process. Absolutely. So if we're thinking about using that, having that open ended um, ongoing back and forth conversation, asking questions, it's really going to help us connect with what, what we know, with what the parent knows. So, um, Let's think about some other good examples of open-ended questions, some of those openers. Um, There's one question that I love. I love to ask families is, what makes your child smile? What makes your child laugh? What does he enjoy? And that's a really different question than, what does your child like to do during the day? You know, it's just broad. You can get lots of information. So if I asked you that, Emily, what makes your daughter smile? What makes her laugh? What would you say?
0: She loves, loves, loves to be tickled she loves to play with her siblings that that is like and she really loves when they include her in their play Mm -hmm. um that just
1: she just gets the biggest smile on her face when they're like coco come play um lots of good information there you know if you had asked me that when my son was two i would have said things like he loves vacuum cleaners he loves them he has toy vacuum cleaners he has he loves the big one he vacuums all the time It's like one of his favorite things to do. And what made him laugh was when you would bounce a toy ball off of his face. And it sounds like the (laughs) funniest things to say. Like, I think if a parent told me that, I might think, "Hmm, those are kind of some quirky things. This kid is obsessed with vacuum cleaners and likes a ball bounced off his face. Like it might be a little red flag that could raise for you. So you'd want to gather a little information. And what you'd find out is he was very much a typically developing child, but just like any child had some little quirks and things he loved. And it was, it was, would have been great um, information to have to motivate him if you were doing early intervention. So you might ask the next question, tell me more about how he loves vacuums. You know, tell me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I remember asking a parent once, tell me, you know, tell me a little more about how he spends his day. What's he like to do during the day? And she said, oh, he could spend hours. He was an 18 month old. Hours putting his little trucks on his windowsill and lining them up and pushing them off the windowsill and lining them up again and pushing them off the windowsill. So what do you think I thought?
0: You, there were some red flags There were coming. some red
1: flags there, and I hope it didn't show on my face. But I definitely needed to investigate that a little more because there were some red flags for some perseverative play there, what I was concerned. But all his mom thought was he is such an easy baby. He can entertain himself for three or four hours at a time. So, you know, it was great information for me to have. Not the place for me to dig in deeper and talk about concerns for autism or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Just good information to have so that we could gather, you know, so that we could make decisions and help her figure out where we're going next with the assessment information we have to figure out outcomes and services. So whatever, you have to sort of be prepared for whatever information you get. Idea too of like starting
0: of something positive. Mm -hmm you know i'm i'm only one parent of many whose children have received early intervention mm-hmm. but for me um having a child with developmental delays, there were times when it was really hard to sort of smile and interact because I was constantly being reminded of what she wasn't doing yeah. and what we weren't seeing. And we were constantly being asked by, by medical providers, is she doing this yet? Is she doing that yet? Does she do this? Does she do that? And the answer was always no, 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 no. Yeah. And so to be able to you know, ask like, what makes her smile and laugh it's like it also makes me feel like you really care about her as a person not about what she is capable or not capable of doing Mm
1: -hmm. that's such a good point and it makes me think there's also room to ask about those frustrations about what it's like for the parent sometimes i wonder you know i think we ask a lot of questions about the child and the child's development and what's he able to do and where are his struggles But to ask the parent what what's frustrating about your day what's what's hard about your day what would make your day easier with your child what would you like to be able to do with your child that you're not able to do now and those are great questions to look ahead to look at the outcomes and how we can support the family too you know it's not just about helping the child meet those developmental milestones on our test right we talked about that in our previous episodes it's kind of about quality of life so how can we help this family uh, be happy, achieve things that they want to achieve for their daughter so that they can get to the point where they can answer those questions that are hard with yeses, you know, that other people are asking or just feel comfortable and, you know, where their child is in the moment and know that they're making progress getting them where they want to go. So um, it's sort of a balance. And I always think if you can have some good questions like these in your back pocket, you know, what what are you, what would you like to do to your child? What's fun for you and your child? Um, you can ask the parents, what would, if your child could do this, could walk or say mom or whatever, what would it look like? What would it sound like? If we can have these kind of good questions in our back pocket, I think it, it just helps you facilitate that conversation in a way that gets the information you need, but helps the parents share what's important to them too. we wanted to wrap today up I think thinking about challenges and suggestions because we're kind of moving in that direction so we talked just talked a little bit about some challenges with that the families might feel but we know that service providers and service coordinators can feel some challenges with asking meaningful questions and interviewing families so um, so we wanted to talk about just acknowledge some of them and give you some ideas for how to overcome those challenges
0: So I think one good suggestion would be explaining why letting the parent know why you're asking the question and that you want to get this information so that you can use it to write a really high quality IFSP so that you can help inform services going forward. Um, We do early intervention all day every day but you know parents don't always have a lot of experience with it. A lot of parents you know are referred to the program and have an intake and still don't really understand what early intervention is. And if you think about if they, you know, maybe came from a NICU or they have a child that sees a lot of medical providers, people aren't necessarily asking about their family and their routines and what's going well and what are your priorities. Um, and so letting families really know why you're asking those questions, it helps them to kind of open up and be like, okay, they, they want to know about my family. They, they really want this information. Cause so I think also sometimes when you answer with more when you're at a medical appointment, you sometimes get that vibe of like they don't want you to be like sharing that or you're giving too much information or they get cut
1: off. Where in early intervention, we want that information. We want to hear it. I think I can I've definitely had that feeling where you're trying to tell the doctor something that's really important to you, but they're like walking out the door while you're saying it because they've got fourteen <laughs> other kids to see so that's a great point that what a you know the family's prior experience with professionals could be that where I'm trying to tell the doctor but I've got like three minutes to tell them where we want the information. I think when we're explaining why, also explain what we're going to do with it. So adult learners, you know, adults tend to want to know that. They want to know why and they want to know what's going to happen. So it just helps provide that safety and trust that, okay, this is why you're asking. This is what's going to happen. It might, it might make sharing that information easier for the family. Mm-hmm.
0: Another thing is, you know, giving permission for the I don't know. You know, parents don't necessarily have all the information, or maybe they're not ready to share Mm -hmm. the information. You know, not all families, you're going to come in and they are going to, like, give you all of this information right off the bat. Some people are a little bit more closed. Some people are a little bit more apprehensive. Some people are just not – they just – you know, don't necessarily like to answer questions, or maybe they've had a negative experience in the past. And so um, it's important to be okay, and let them know that it's okay to say that you don't know that you're not necessarily expecting an answer, and that we can talk about it again, or, you know, you as the provider can bring it up when the relationship is a little bit different, but that this idea of, I don't know, or
1: I don't want to answer, that's okay. I think that when a parent doesn't know, especially if they answer that a lot, it's a good place for the provider to reflect on what they're asking to, you know, is there a different way to ask the question? Does the family need a little more processing time? You know, sometimes I don't know can be a placeholder for I'm trying to figure it out. So a little reflection when you're getting the I don't knows is, is great too. It's not always on the family, right? Sometimes it's more on how it could also be on how we're asking the questions as well. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, another example of a suggestion would be to rephrase or maybe um, provide an example. You know, if they don't know the answer or they're not sure how to answer, rephrasing the question or providing an example, you know, for context can be helpful. I would just caution with this that it's important, especially you know, here in Massachusetts, we do a standardized assessment. And so you're not going to want to use some of these suggestions and strategies during the standardized assessment process. But again, when we're talking about this today, we're sort of talking about this kind of ongoing and and gathering information and building a relationship outside of that
1: um, formal eval that's a great point. It's evaluation process. Yeah, and in Virginia, we don't use as as standardized a uh, process, so we probably would have some more room for examples. But I do think you have to be careful. Uh, I can remember making the error more than once, especially when my child was within the birth to three range, of giving an example of something he had done. And you could see the parent's face change when you realize, I've just said something he could do at this child's age that the, chi- that the child I'm assessing is not doing. You know so it's just sort of that other reminder oh he's not doing the same things other kids so so sharing those examples can absolutely provide the context for families but you have to do it in a sensitive in a sensitive manner i also remember sharing an example once of something i'd seen another preemie do i was assessing a preemie Well, it turned out the example was so specific, this mother said, oh, is that so and so? And it was, she knew the family. So you know, with confidentiality, I had to really backtrack pretty hard because I was not supposed to share that. So my example, because they were both like 24 weekers, you know, and born around the same time, I just really goofed up. So um, being mindful of the examples you're sharing is it's such a great tip. I just know I've stumbled on it a few times. So thinking about how you're sharing them, just like we've talked about the whole time, how you're doing it is important.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, the rephrasing is really important or even just pausing and rephrase and asking it again, Mm -hmm. a, a second time with a slower emphasis or, um, Slower emphasis on different words. I remember doing an observation one time of a team, and during this observation, I had some really aha moments about all of the distractions that this mom was up against Mm -hmm. while um, this EI team was trying to get to know her and ask her questions. I mean, the dog was barking, there was noise outside, her son and her father were outside playing. At one point, the neighbor you know, drop something off. And then all while she's watching her son do kind of different things and interact with different people. And so there were times where she would be like, I don't know. And I really was thinking, I don't think it's that she doesn't know. I think it's that she wasn't necessarily paying attention for good reason. But when you're in your home with, you know, people that you don't know yet, are you going to say, I'm sorry, I completely got distracted by the dog barking. Can you repeat that? Or are you going to say, I don't know? Yeah. I think a lot of
1: us, myself included, would just say, I don't know. You know, and that reminds me, Emily, I think jargon can be distracting too. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know, even thinking about how we say something if, if we're asking somebody, do they use a bilateral blah, 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 and the parent doesn't know what that is, you might fall back on the I don't know. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Could you rephrase the question? I think we want to empower families so that they can speak up and say, I, you know, I don't understand, but I need to. So can you help me understand? But at that initial, especially at the initial, the intake or the assessment, we could be using language too that could cause that parent to fall into the to I don't know because they don't feel like they have what they need to answer the question because they don't understand it
0: yeah that's that's a really good point we talk about that a lot here in Massachusetts is that we have a lot of jargon that we don't recognize as jargon it's just our my language lasts right yeah we use it every day my last program director she was saying that she was having a conversation with her husband she was an occupational therapist and um She was talking to her husband about gross motor this and gross motor that. And, you know, she had this big, long conversation. And then he finally stopped her. And he was like, every time you say gross motor, I think of a dirty car engine. (laughs) That's funny. And like here she is having this whole conversation. And he's like
1: thinking about a car. (laughs) Totally the same words. Completely different meaning. Oh, definitely. I remember talking to a parent one time. This was probably more ongoing assessment than initial, but the therapist was talking to the mother about what did she say, bilateral tongue movements, bilateral oral motor movement, something like that. And the mother's just kind of shaking her head, but I could realize that she didn't know what she meant after I was a service coordinator in this role. And after the therapist left, I asked him, I was like, so what did you think about that visit? She's like, I don't know what she was talking about. Bilateral oral motor tongue movements and so I stuck my tongue out and moved it back and forth for her and I was like that's what she meant and she goes oh why didn't she just say that <laughs> and because we were trying <laughs> right? to figure out how the child was clear you know clearing food because she was kind of pocketing in her cheek and it was as simple as your tongue moves back and forth but it was we the therapist was just speaking her language that's the language she learned and wasn't probably just wasn't catching herself in the moment and as a service coordinator I probably should have stepped in and said um let's this is what that looks like or some other way to make sure that the parent understood so she could answer the question. So another uh
0: suggestion would be getting comfortable with silence and really just stopping and allowing parents to sort of process what you've asked them, think of their question and then formulate their answer. And this can be really challenging, especially if you're just getting to know a family. Um, but there is a lot of power in, in silence and not being, feeling like you have to sort of jump in and and help them out and help them to sort of formulate an answer.
1: Yeah, I'm totally guilty of that. It Silence is hard and it's hard when you're thinking ahead and you know you've got to finish the assessment in a half an hour and you know, whatever. It's hard It's hard to remember to take the time to pause. You know, and I've heard people say, I literally sit on my hands, even though my hands aren't talking, like just to remind myself to, not, to just, or count in your head. Whatever you have to do is just remember that the pausing, giving somebody time to process is really okay. It's just hard sometimes on the person who's waiting. I think there's also a, I have a therapist. I recently was teaching a course and she said, I feel like I'm putting them on the spot. You know, if I'm waiting for the, if I ask a question and then I'm waiting in silence, I don't want the parent to feel that pressure that they're on the spot. So like we've talked about before, I think it's managing the silence, making it okay. um, That that's that we have to learn to do.
0: Yeah. And recognizing that all people, adults have different learning styles. And so if you're dealing with a parent, that's not necessarily an auditory processor and you're asking questions, they might need that time to, to really process. What is it that I was just asked? Okay, how am I going to answer this? And, um, so it's just important to recognize that there are a lot of people that need that time to sort of stop and think.
1: Yeah, I think somewhere I read that adults tend to pause like two to two seconds or something, two to three seconds after we ask something, which is really almost no time at all. So extending that pause time, letting the family know, take your time and think about your answer. That's completely fine. Like letting them know, I know that you're thinking, you know, I know that we're, we're being quiet for a reason, not because I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for you. I think balancing how long to wait is something you learn as you get to know the family too.
0: Absolutely. And then I think the last suggestion that I would have is just remember that it's a conversation. You know, don't feel like all you can do is ask questions. You don't have to feel like you're trapped. Really kind of be prepared to and think about what do I need to know, what do I want to know, what was said that I want to follow up on, um, and how can I keep this conversation moving in the direction that I sort of need and want it to move in.
1: Absolutely. So we hope today that you guys have gained a little bit of information, a little insight, some time to reflect on how you gather information by asking good questions. Um, We think it's like intentional observation, which we talked about in our last episode. These are more tools for your toolbox when you're conducting functional assessment, whether you're starting that assessment at the intake, like we talked about, actually doing the assessment, you know, at your, your reserved assessment time, or conducting that more functional ongoing assessment across time. Asking good questions, gathering information interviewing families is really part of the whole EI process. I think a key for us that we're hoping you'll leave the session today with is that asking good meaningful questions can really unlock important information you need. So we hope you won't get too hung up on asking the right question because remember the right question depends on the context. Just be prepared to have that open conversation like Emily just talked about and gather the good information you need to help you get to know the family and support them in a way that helps them meet their goals. So next time, we're going to dig in um, a little further after you've asked these good questions or as you're talking with families, active listening is equally important. So we'll talk about how do you convey that you're actively listening and what do you do with that information as you're gathering it? How do you let families know that you care what, what what their responses are going to be? So we're going to talk about that more next time. We hope you'll join us again. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.